So today, the talk will be on the topic of wisdom. Uh, this is our first talk of a full month on this subject, and it's in the context of three months on the three pillars of our practice, where the three pillars, I, they're, they're actually several, several uh, notions of what the three pillars are. But this is one that I think came through with, uh, with the teachers who brought this practice, uh, three of the teachers who are very well known for bringing this practice to the West. Um, and that's Jack Cornfield and um, Joseph Goldstein. And I think, and also Sharon Salzberg. And they, they described these three pillars as being uh, dana, or generosity, sila, as ethical conduct, and wisdom, the cultivation of wisdom, the cultivation of uh, turning our knowledge into that kind of felt embodied uh, knowing or understanding of wisdom. So on this month on wisdom, so I, I wanted to mention a little bit more about what I just said. What is wisdom? What is wisdom versus knowledge? Uh, one way of describing it is that wisdom is where knowledge hits the ground. You know, it's this practical, uh, applied in our real life kind of knowing that we can have. So as opposed to something, you know, that we can read in a book and sort of intellectually understand, it's really that felt embodied sense of knowing. It's internalized. I've heard someone say that while you acquire knowledge, you know, wisdom becomes a part of you, right? It's, it's, uh, it's that, it's instinctual, it's felt. So the topic I wanted to cover in particular today is how can we be more receptive to wisdom? How can we, how can we go about gathering wisdom? And so the context in which I think about that is, you know, in daily life, we're going through and we're having all these experiences, good things, bad things, and neutral things, things we're checked out of, things that we're obsessed with, you know, all these things that we're experiencing from moment to moment. And all of those experiences are fodder for wisdom, right? We can learn from everything, you know, and just to name some things, right, some, some of the stuff that happens, you know. We might experience, you know, an inconsiderate driver on the road, someone who's not following the rules we've internalized. Our, our phone might flash a notification, right? That's an experience we have. We could read or listen to the news and hear something painful. You know, we could be waiting on hold for customer service music and hearing that, you know, that elevator music in the background, whatever response you might have to that. For me, that's like a strong, that's a strong moment for learning um, where I have to be like, okay, I have to be patient. I'm, I'm almost prepping myself for being frustrated when I'm on hold uh, for customer service. Getting into an argument with a loved one, right? Coming up to the holidays, that might be something present for a lot of people. How can we take all of these things and churn out wisdom? So I want to start, um, since wisdom is this embodied thing, it's not really an intellectual thing, 
um, I kind of, I started, my mind kind of went to poetry, you know, thing, this, because we have this way of grasping poetry in a non-intellectual way, in this kind of felt way. So I'm going to start with an excerpt from a poem that's called A Poem for My Daughter by Teddy Matter. It seems we have made pain some kind of mistake, like having it is somehow wrong. Don't let them fool you. Pain is a part of things. But remember, dear Ellie, the compost down in the field, if the rank and dank and dark are handled well, not merely discarded, but turned and known and honored, they one day come to beds of rich earth, home even to the most delicate rose. God comes to you disguised as your life. Blessings often arrive as trouble. In French, the word blessé means to wound and relates to the old English bletsien, to sprinkle with blood. And in Sanskrit, there is a phrase, a phrase to carry with you wherever you go. Sarvam anam. Everything is food. Every last thing. So yeah, we can feel that. You know, everything is food. Every last thing. And if you're like me, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds right. But there's something about that that feels right. But we know that in practice, right, we don't, we don't always ingest our experiences in this most appropriate way and turn it into wisdom. So what can we do? What can we do to learn from our life experience? How can we turn it into this internalized felt wisdom? How do we cultivate that from every bump on the road? So... I first, I kind of, I have a list of things I wanted to talk about uh, in response to that question, but I also wanted to, uh, to turn it to the chat and, and ask the question, you know, what things aid you? What kinds of qualities aid you in learning from your life experience? When does it work? When does it settle in and sit with you and, and become something for growth as opposed to something that, you know, just either rolls past you or maybe even becomes a sticking point, something you get stuck with. What qualities do you have when you do the one versus the other? Anything, anything arises, you can post it in the chat. Just a couple words, maybe. I'll give it a moment. This takes a little thought, I think, if, if I were you. Patience. Reminding myself that I want to be here. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Slowing down to listen. Continuing to revisit, yeah, why, my, why something might be an issue. Allowing myself the space to slow down that comes back again. Yeah, having enough equanimity 
about the situation, to want to understand it rather than try, trying to fix it. There's a lot in that. Understand rather than trying to fix. Yeah, I can relate to that. Not taking life personally. It's just life unfolding. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. It's when I take things personally in this kind, especially in this small sense of self that I can have, right? That's, that's, when, it, that's when it hurts and that's when it, I struggle more. When it feels impersonal, yeah. That's when we can take it a different way. Empathy, yes. Experiences that I have that I can relate to. Experiences that I have I can relate to the teachings at the time. Listening to where I'm feeling, whatever it is that lingers. Yeah. Actually realizing something was difficult to experience. Yeah, naming it, right? Naming that something is difficult. Framing it with an open-minded question. What is the meaning of this time? Yeah. Self-compassion. Thank you for these responses. You know, can we, we can all see some, some themes here. Calming my nervous system. There's some themes that come up over and over. Yeah, I want to take I want to take a couple of these and move with them. One is so I have my own list, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of list the topics um, the way I think of them, and then kind of delve into the details. The ones that I want to name here, the qualities or the um, the practices that we that that came to me when I was thinking of this, and that. Um, that I saw from other people's talks as well. One is no self, this, uh, this shedding of a small sense of self. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Another is cultivating mindfulness. Mindfulness comes up everywhere, right? Um, I'll talk about how I think it specifically applies to this idea of how we can learn from our experience. Another thing is right view. This is a Buddhist concept, right view, discernment. And lastly, if we have any time, I want to mention forgiveness. Okay, so beginning with no self, this, this relates to a lot of what I saw written uh, in various ways. So very often when I get stuck, It's because something in my experience uh, is wounding an idea I have about myself. You know, whether it's that argument we're talking about or someone even pointing out a truth, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's even more painful. Or even just a situation that is frustrating or someone being inconsiderate or unkind. You know, so an example here, you know, my son is very good at seeing my limitations. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's painful to hear his reflections. And I can, you know, when I feel that, I, I have some choices. And here are three of them. One thing I can do anytime I'm feeling wounded, I can tell myself a story that protects the identity that's wounded. Right? When, we, when something has happened that kind of wounds part of us. 
And, you know, that story is often an explanation of, you know, why the person wounding me is wrong <laughs> or why, you know, why I still, you know, why I can, it's something to protect that identity that, that says, no, 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 this identity is real. Uh, it's not, it's not something that is hollow. It's not something that, um, you know, has actually been, uh, has actually been, you know, attacked and successfully disrupted by this story. So we can do that. We can tell ourselves a story, right? And when we do that, of course, we're often not getting as much growth out of it as we can. So another thing I can do is I can ask if there's some truth being highlighted here, right? And perhaps on this path, I can achieve some personal growth, right? Some people talked about, you know, in, in, the, in the comments that you wrote, you know, revisiting a situation and asking helpful questions, right? Can we, is there something here that's worth learning from? But a third thing, this is perhaps uh, even more profoundly, what we can see is that in order to feel wounded by this at all, there is some underlying identity I'm holding on to. There's some idea about what I'm like or who I am. And, you know, in this lineage, in these teachings, we're taught that these kinds of identities are not actually our true self, right? These are the results of our conditioning. These are things we've constructed. They're ways that we get by. Uh, they're ways that we maneuver through life and some ways that we've come to see ourselves that uh, some are helpful. Some are, are, you know, strategies for getting through things. Some are harmful, right? Some get in the way. But none of these are particularly true. They're not really who we are. They're stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that have become ingrained. So when we have these opportunities, when we feel wounded by something, we have an opportunity to get a glimpse at one of these identities. We're being offered the opportunity to truly let go and shed these just a little bit, right? So all of these I talk about in, in, the, in the context of cultivating no-self. You know, when we get to poke at these identities, what we get to do, what, what I mean by no-self is shedding this side, the smaller notion of who we are, these limiting ideas of who we are, and expanding into this connected and more clear sense of what, what we truly are. And I'm not going to name what that is as much as leave it as an exploration. Right? We, can, we can start to see what, it, what we really are if we're not this and not that, not this identity and not that identity. Another quality, mindfulness, right? This comes up all the time whenever we're talking about cultivating one quality or the other to help with something or the other. Mindfulness is always there. And here, you know, to be able to act on, to be able to cultivate no self, right? I talked about, you know, pausing and feeling that we have some choices when we feel wounded. Well, to even get that moment to pause, we need a certain spaciousness, right? And cultivating mindfulness allows that kind of spaciousness. We get to take a pause after something happens to us, see and feel what we're really feeling 
and choose a little bit more skillfully how to respond. That's one thing we get out of this practice, out of just cultivating mindfulness as we were doing for 30 minutes before this. We can also look back at the past with mindfulness. You know, if we miss the moment in which we can do that learning, in the moment that we feel wounded, you know, whatever, however we respond in that moment, we can also look back. And my partner, when I was talking about this talk uh, yesterday evening, and she described this process that she undertakes uh, with me. And when she looks back, you know, the tendency when we look at our past is to ruminate, right? And, you know, we can get trapped when we do that into our narratives about whatever events we're ruminating on, whatever we're thinking about in the past. And she described that she often, I got her permission, by the way, um, she often uh, has this uh, thought that goes something like, if only blank were different. And when she looks at blank, blank is often some uncontrollable event, you know, and, you know, Sue's just said, you know, how our, talked about how her experiences are impersonal and what she shared in the chat. Instead of trying, you know, beating our heads against, you know, uncontrollable events and being them different and being different, she then asks herself the question, um, my partner, how did I grow from this? So first there's this acceptance. Okay, this was an uncontrollable event. You know, there's only so much I can meaningfully wish that it were different. And instead turns the question around. How did I grow from this? How can I grow from this? So again, mindfulness is the tool that allows us to interrupt our stories and our patterns. If our pattern is to ruminate, if our pattern is to go to the if only, this is a way that we can get around that. Mindfulness allows us to disrupt. So a third thing I mentioned is right view. So what I'm specifically calling out here is that we can pay attention to what brings out the best in us and what brings out the worst in us as we go through our life. We've focused a lot right uh, so far on difficult experiences. How can we grow? How can we become wiser from difficult experiences? But I want to I want to underline in this. We can also see those moments when we really shine, right? You know, they might be moments for me. They often feel like they're moments when I feel myself. You know, I really feel like I'm myself. I don't feel uncomfortable or, or misplaced or you know, like an alien in the room that, you know, when you really feel like that, what, and, and notice what conditions brought that about? How did I get there? What about when you're just acting in the ways that align with your highest values? Notice when you're at that point, think about what, you know, what, what's happening now? What's the felt sense of this? How can I cultivate this? How can I bring this back? What conditions created this? So as we go about this practice, right, this, this um, inquiry into what brings out the best and worst in us, a quality that helps here is discernment, right? So, you know, we're really, when we're, when we're looking at something pleasurable, right, something good, these moments when we feel our best, there are many kinds of pleasure, 
right? There are many kinds of good feeling. Can you distinguish between the kind of pleasure brought on by being smiled at or hugged and the pleasure from, you know, doing something like looking at your phone, which can be pleasurable, right? There's a dopamine that gets fired when I, anytime I look at a bright screen, there's something pleasurable, but it's a different kind of pleasure, right? It's not quite the same. It's a different thing getting fired there. And I'm not trying to vilify one thing or the other here. I'm really talking about looking at all of these experiences uh, with, with equanimity, with just an, with, with, with a curiosity, not with a, oh, this is a bad kind of pleasure. This is a good one, right? What about the enjoyment of food? Right, savoring some food that you feel like really feels nourishing or just tastes delicious. And the enjoyment of doing something good for someone else. Right? Those are very different kinds of enjoyment. What's different about those? Right? They're also painful feelings. One thing I mentioned earlier, I hinted at. What about what's the difference? What's the difference in the feeling you get inside you when you're being wronged? You're actually being wronged. A part of you knows that this is wrong. And when you're being corrected because you are genuinely wrong, right? How do those feel different? Both are painful. How are they different? This is discernment. So a last thing I wanted to mention, just because I think it comes up a lot when we're, when we're working through our experience, especially when we're doing that thing where we're not in the moment digesting an experience that's coming to us right now, but when we're, when we're reflecting, when we're doing that kind of looking into the past that my partner described, um, there's forgiveness. So there is this quote, and I tried to look up who this quote is attributable to. And apparently it's one of those apocryphal quotes that a million people have quoted. So I'm going to quote it without knowing who actually it belongs to. The quote is, forgiveness means giving up all hope of a better past. And many of you may have heard this before. I find it delightful. Forgiveness means giving up all hope of a better past. When I hear that, there's a kind of releasing, right? Forgiveness feels like this really heavy thing, this, this thing, this hurdle we have to reach. We have to completely make something okay that happened to us that doesn't feel okay. And it isn't about that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hear people responding. Don Miguel Ruiz has said that before. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's attributed to so many people. Um, Al-Anon, yeah, yeah. I've heard, yeah, I've heard people mention that this comes up in in uh, in various kinds of recovery or, or um, meetings for people adjacent to recovering people. Yeah, and what I love about the quote is that it 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 doesn't ask us to make something not okay okay. Right? We're not being asked to do that thing. We're, we're just saying that this is how it was. And there's just no point in saying it was any different. And that being the step to kind of moving beyond it. Yeah, and this, this quality, right? This being able to forgive, this being able to accept things as they were 
if we can bring mindfulness, the seeing clearly to the past, if we can bring right view, this looking at what is good, what, what, you know, what brings out our best, what brings out our worst, this quality of discernment, if we can do these things and we can see the past with a certain clarity, can we give up any hope of it being different? Can we bring that kind of acceptance to it? And in so doing, can we acquire wisdom, right? There's wisdom just in the acceptance. There may also be something else there in it for us, right? Once we can see those events clearly and just accept them. Okay, before I let you go, I'm so into poetry today, just just because it's, I feel so connected to wisdom. Um, I'm going to read a poem. This is one that I think many of you may have heard. Um, it comes from a Christian perspective um, by Lynn Unger, and the poem is Earthworms. I think it points to a way. I, I think when I think of this poem, I think, wouldn't it be nice to be like this? This is sort of maybe a lighthouse that we can uh, navigate towards. Okay, here's the poem. Imagine the only thing that God requires of them is a persistent wriggling, moving forward, passing the earth through the crinkled tube of their bodies in a motion less like chewing than like song. Everything they encounter goes through them as if sunsets Drugstore clerks, diesel fumes, and sidewalks were to move through our very centers and emerge subtly different for having fed us. Looser somehow, more open to the possibility of life. They say the job of angels is to sing to God in serried choirs. Perhaps, but most jobs aren't so glamorous. Mostly, the world depends on the silent chanting underneath our feet. To every grain that enters, welcome. To every parting mote, be blessed. Thanks, everyone. With that, I want to open it up to breakout rooms. All right, I think that's everyone back. There's some time now to, um, to just pose any questions or comments, reflections, anything that's arisen today that you might want to share for the group. Yeah. See Bruce and Shine. Go ahead. I want to share the joy of seeing Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, uh, me I too. Seen you in ages. Holly. <laughs> Thank you. Good <laughs> to see you all too. Thank you. It's good to have you back here, Jerry. Thanks. Good to be here. I I have something. Oh, no, I, I didn't raise my hand, Judith. Never mind. Okay, um, yeah, we'll go to Judith, and then we'll go to you, Jerry. Okay. Well, one thing that struck me 
is um, thinking of the concept of the Dharma does you, you know, you do the practice and the Dharma does you, is when I notice that I am responding to something more skillfully. And then my instant urge to take personal credit for that and to be very proud of myself because I'm being such a good, you know, Buddhist or spiritual person. And, and that's, of course, not what it's all about. So that's, mm. that's one thing that came to my mind. Yeah. And so what do you do when you notice that? I'm curious. Well, it, I mean, when I, when I notice it, then the Dharma does me, right? Mm. You know, uh, I real, oh yeah. Okay. I kind of, it, it's amusing in a way. I kind of laugh at it. No, oh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Um, I'm getting my, my personal ego in here again. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it easier to let go of that if you see it, obviously. That's right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think you're bringing up something that um, I think can be really important here, which is humor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, having a sense of humor about ourselves, we can, can, it can take our, it can cause ourselves to have slightly lighter senses of identity, senses of self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's, that's a really good point. And it's something worth noticing as we do things, as we go through and notice things about ourselves. Jerry? Uh, yeah, thanks for that last line too. Yeah, yeah, humor. I, I I often feel grateful. I've grown up in a family that laughed a lot, uh, and about you know laughing at oneself and so forth. So what I had, what I was going to share before was you know silliness, and I'm not sure it's the best use of our time here. But the poem brought to mind as you wriggle through life allowing things to come in and pass through it. I just had the image of an earthworm. You know, we're like, you know, going through life like an earthworm, all good, take it all in, allow it all to pass. Yeah. Well, the poem is called Earthworms. Oh, it is. Okay. That's why. (laughs) Glad I made that connection then. All right. Yeah. So I think you kind of hit it on the head, Jerry. (laughs) Okay. Seems seems like you got what it was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's um. I was debating whether to to bring that poem in because it it's kind of aspirational, right? You know, we're talking about all the things that we really get stuck on, and then there's this image of you know you know a being that just gracefully brings everything in and has it pass through and come out. And, it, you know, life isn't always like that, but I think it's still lovely to to have that as kind of a, you know, something to aspire to, I suppose. Yeah, Lauren. I'd like to thank uh, Jerry for that phrase, going through life like an earthworm, because although I did hear the title, that's something I can carry with me, you know, like... It's uh, something to hold on to as far as, yeah, I'm going to go through life like an earthworm. So I I like that phrase. And um, I will just say that I really appreciated the prompt very much. 
um, and it seemed to stimulate a good discussion in our group. Each of us had really um, interesting things, I think, to share. And um, I thought after I finished the discussion that I am so much, I'm really brought up my gratitude Mm -hmm. for this practice because although I, I do feel gratitude for this practice a lot. This morning, I wasn't necessarily feeling, you know, when I sat down to start the Sunday sit with you guys, I wasn't necessarily feeling grateful, but I really, really feel grateful in hearing the sharing from my other people in my group reminded me of all that I, the wisdom and how that has helped me um, reduce the suffering in my life so much. So just feeling a lot of gratitude. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Isn't it wonderful how we do this together? You know, it's, it's, there's just something about, I mean, from practicing together to having those group discussions, to hearing other people's experiences, how they, how they reflect on us, right? How, how we mirror ourselves. And it's, there's yeah. just something really, I mean, and I think it really does that work of getting ourselves out of that small sense of self into this, spacious interconnected sense of self we see ourselves in everyone and we learn from each other yeah yeah thanks for that lauren i love that sense of gratitude that you brought yeah nikhil and and or lillian yeah i think something that came up for me with um the prompt was just how um how much failure helps in terms of building that wisdom where you know oftentimes i think the example i had mentioned was, you know, even something trivial where you go out to eat a burger and fries and you don't, it tastes really good. But then like for me, my stomach feels pretty crappy after that. And, you know, I, the long-term decision I would have rather made was probably eat something different, but in the short term, I really wanted the fries. And, you know, I just, every time I you know fail, I've noticed that I go longer and longer between, you know, making that decision and like choosing to eat something that I'd rather eat, you know, an hour later, as opposed to the moment. I think, you know, that applies in, you know, a lot of other things too, right. Where like, you know, whether it's, you know, making time for mindfulness practice, um, you know, things about, you know, what do I want to, you know, decision about like, you know, what do I want to be doing with my time right now, right? Where in the moment it's really used to think like, I want to like go scroll my phone, but I don't want that, right? And right. the more I, the more I make the decision that I don't want to, and I'm aware of, and having that awareness that like, of how I feel after having made that decision, it makes it easier than the next time it happens to make it a different decision. And then having the wisdom from, knowing what that felt like the next time that it comes and you can weigh, you can remember what did, you know, one choice feel like versus the other. Um, I think that's, um, yeah, that that's, it's a helpful, yeah, it helps, you know, change the decision that I make in the future, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You can notice those patterns shift too, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I, I, I really hear what you're saying. It's, it's something, I think we all, we all go through this, right? Um, I do this with, I'll wait till I'm hungry before going like really hungry before going into the kitchen and deciding what to eat. And then I don't want to do anything that would take any time, which is usually the thing that I'd rather be eating or rather having, having at the end of the day, what would I rather have in my stomach? Right. And yeah, every time I see myself do it, I think I I get, I have an opportunity and I, I slowly release that. And maybe I'm just going to be a little better the next time and the next time uh, with those choices. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Kendall. Oh, you're on mute. 
Yeah, I really appreciated the way you worded, you know, that suggestion about paying attention to what brings out the best in us. It sort of relates to this, you know, making the decisions. But thinking of it that way, I was, you know, recognizing that such a a kind way to say that, you know. It makes me feel like it's a way of looking at ourselves and kind of doing what's the most kind thing and the helpful thing for ourselves, which is, so much better than judging ourselves and saying, oh, I shouldn't do that, I'm bad, I'm blah, blah, blah. But to really think about, you know, what brings out the best. And so I appreciated that. Thank you for that. Wendell. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Wendell. It's, I, I love those kinds of turns, too. <laughs> so, you know, so often, at least for me personally, my practice can be turning towards hard things. And that, you know, there's wonderful things that come from that, but uh, it's always hard stuff, you know, and I forget sometimes how much good can come from, how much can be cultivated by turning towards the positive, you know, noticing, oh, this feels good. This feels really, I feel good about this moment. And, you know, you, you almost get doing a little bit of inquiry there is it's just so delightful. <laughs> you get to spend a moment in that joy or that happiness or that calm or whatever positive feeling you cultivated and understand a little bit more about how to bring that about again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I heard that from another talk. I wish I could remember where, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't original. Yeah. Julie. Hi, yeah, I, I want to second what Lyndall said. I, I thought that was a really lovely prompt and, um, it sort of ties into what I was going to say that, um, you know, what I've noticed about myself is sometimes when, you know, what I'm experiencing is negative, it took me a long time to sort of break the habit of wanting to intellectualize everything and understand things because I recognize that it, it was, it was sucking me into it. And I personally have found lately that if I um, intentionally remind myself about the importance of self-compassion in that particular instance, for whatever reason, it it sort of helps boot me out of the selfing process, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, and it gets me into a place where I can sort of step back and look at the situation um, I can process it more wisely, I believe. Yeah. So, and then also circling back to the positive aspect of things and, and focusing on that, I find that very, very helpful too. Do you know, just like a regular reminder because the, the negativity bias is so strong in, in most of us and, and certainly in me. And so if I can, um, focus on um, what makes me feel good, uh, what makes me feel like I'm really growing and reminding myself of how much I am doing and have done, um, but do every day instead of all the little things that aren't perfect. Yeah. So just wanted to. Yeah. So there, there, that. thank you. Yeah. There, there are a couple of things there. You, you, know, you mentioned how get self-compassion can get you out of your head and also out of the self. The selfing idea. 
And I think that's a really powerful suggestion. I saw that you, you mentioned self-compassion up above in the comments as a strategy. Yeah, that, that's a really powerful one. I think that really deserves mention. Um, yeah, I wish I, I wish I'd had time to elaborate on that, uh, in the talk itself. Um, I think, I think some of the ways that that helps me at least, uh, one is it's a feeling in my body. It's an embodied thing when I feel self-compassion, if I can evoke that. And that automatically moves me out of this sort of ruminating, spinning sense um, that I can have in my head. Another thing about it, uh, and this is just speaking personally, really, is when I'm giving myself compassion, I'm almost, what I do is I'm almost looking at myself from the eyes of, you know, from, from a slight distance. As, as someone who feels compassion for that being, which is myself. And you can step a little bit out of the situation when you do that. You know, you, you can see what you're going through and, you know, look at that individual that's ruminating or selfing or, you know, doing these other things. Uh, and when you see yourself from that perspective, it, it can be a powerful way of snapping out of it to me. Um, there's probably a lot more to say, and I'm sure you would have more to say as well <laughs> about it, Julie. Um, but uh, thank you for sharing that and bringing it in. I think that's a really powerful suggestion. Yeah. All right. It is 1129. So I want to um, do a couple. I, actually, really, I have one main announcement.